This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into another episode of the Ots and Audibles podcast. Another two-man show here. Matt Preem is in transit heading to Pac-12 Men's Basketball Media Day in Las Vegas. He'll be leaving behind the uh, rainy weather here in Eugene. So Eric Scopel and Jared Mack are, are left to be here while he's in sunny Las Vegas. It seems to happen every time he's not on the show. He's somewhere where the weather is better. Uh, can't blame him, but we are going to trudge through the like the cold, the rain today uh, to run through kind of the practice report. Also, some things that it's, Dan had to say. It's 62 and sunny right now. I mean, that's a You're good right. time. You're right. The weather has passed and, I, and my, my, my angle is no longer quite as valid. Earlier today, it would have been very, very Big valid rain. when we moved Big inside. Rain. Yeah, the, the rain, the wind, we moved inside. Uh, it led to me sitting on a thing I shouldn't have sat on. Anyway, that's not a thing we have to talk about. A regrettable moment. Um, regardless, let's let's talk. Let's get back on task here, Jared. Uh, <laughs> let's what? start with let's start with injuries, which is where we usually start these shows. Um, some good news uh, coming down the wire from from Mr. Landing on Monday on his weekly press conference. To conclude, he said uh, both Brian Addison. Kyrie Jackson, two guys whose availability I wouldn't say was super up in the air, but we needed some clarity. Both are expected to play against Washington this weekend. Jackson mm-hmm. had missed uh, probably about the second half. I can't remember exactly when he left with that hip, looked like a hip injury of some kind at Stanford. Um, missed most of that, at least most of the second half, if not all of it. And then Brian Addison, we did not identify pre-game i don't know jared did you end up seeing him on the sideline during the game or on rewatch i don't think i did no i don't think he was i mean he he might have been there but he wasn't on the sideline it was this it was the same with uh justin jacobs like neither of them were 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 there even though i think they were on the travel roster from what we were told from what we were told they were supposed to be there we never identified them but good news both uh kyrie and brian it sounds like are back at practice. We then were able to confirm that today, Tuesday morning, when we watched practice, both took part in yep. the full contact mod bracket drill, which is a good sign. We should also note Justin Jacobs. I guess he's been doing mm-hmm. this for several weeks now. Also took part in that full contact drill. Um, that was good to see. So good news with those three. Um, obviously, going into this one in particular, having Kyrie and Brian available, pretty significant. Those are yep. two of your better defensive backs. Kyrie, I think, is certainly your best corner and you could probably argue your best defensive back. I think I would. Um, yes. And then Brian uh, Addison. I mean, it's, it's a tough one. There's some good players. Close. There. There's three, there's three above the rest, but go ahead. And then I was just going to say, Brian Addison is somebody who, especially in games where the ball is going to be thrown around a lot. We have seen now for a couple of seasons, his value 
uh, on the back end there with that that length and, and, and the range you can cover. So significant that kind of all hands on deck, as far as we know, from a secondary perspective are available. There really aren't any injuries there at all. So that was all really positive. Um, yeah. Do you want me to give the negative news? Yeah, well, maybe that's – I'll be good cop. You can be bad cop. <laughs> yeah, I, I can be bad cop. I'm, that, that's fine by me. Uh, Jerry Mixon was not at practice mm. today. That No, I'm kidding. Um, sorry to do was, that to he you. He actually wasn't. He actually, actually wasn't. He actually wasn't as practice. Yeah, but uh, sorry to do that to you listeners and or watchers. Uh, Brandon Dorless was absent today on Tuesday, uh, October 10th. Um, one of the first times we hadn't seen him at practice. I don't remember a time where we haven't seen him at practice. Could be I'll going look, back look. to spring maybe. Um, but, yeah, he was the most significant absence of the day. Um, a couple other guys didn't make it to practice, like the aforementioned Jerry Mixon. Um, we thought Tavita Pome didn't make it out there, but he he was in attendance today. Um, and just and Justice Lowe and Lipe Moala were the other uh, couple players who weren't in attendance. But – uh, Brandon Dorless obviously is the biggest name. Uh, it's going to be an absolute necessary uh, player to have. And if, if Oregon really wants to win against Washington, he's one of their best defensive linemen, if not their best defensive lineman. So that'll be interesting to see if he's at practice tomorrow. Um, I am a betting man, and I would say that I, I think we will see Brandon Dorless. Um, there is a Twitter theory that he is taking – photos and the uniforms that are that are going to be dropping tomorrow and that's why he missed practice mm. the only problem with that is that when players have missed or when players have done photo shoots before and when it would theoretically be during practice time they're there so um i think we can put that theory to bed like casey rogers and terrence ferguson camden lewis always misses tuesday practice he actually has a scheduling conflict going on with one of his graduate courses so that makes sense. He was not here today either on a Tuesday, again, October 10th. Um, Brandon Dorless, to our knowledge, does not have a class schedule conflict because he would have been having this all fall. Right. The last couple and weeks. so, yeah, not, not all fall, last couple of weeks, but we would have noticed it beforehand. So, this again, Brandon Dorless was absent. Um, I would, I'm not going to hedge anything here, but I, I kind of expected to see him tomorrow. And today was something maybe there was an actual scheduling conflict maybe it was the photo shoot i don't know but um i i would have been i would be very surprised if oregon had allowed dorless's image to be thrown about in the weekly recap or the cinematic recap from the yep. university of oregon the official uh youtube and uh, video page like so often in that video dorless was represented so um i'd be surprised if he was injured last week during practice and was still shown in that video. So we'll see tomorrow, but certainly big news today. I had the exact same thought as Jared about the cinematic recap. And they, it's kind of, it was kind of comical that they did one during the bye week. I got why because it kind of shows some of the behind the scenes, what they're doing while they're not mm -hmm. playing. But um, as, as Jared said, Dorless was prominently featured several times. Um, I did look back through my notes, Jared. I don't know if this is valuable information. Jarlis uh, did miss a practice, according to my notes, on August 16th. So there is that, apparently. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think we're just kind of, at this point, left to to kind of wait and see what happens. We'll, we'll be back at practice on Wednesday. That'll give us a second time. And if he is absent again, that will be a question for Dan Lanning shortly after practice on Wednesday to try to get some sort of an idea of what is going on. Um, yeah, this is a big one. If he's not available somehow, and I think that would be a surprise, he was not injured in any of the games. He's played in all five, and 
Um, and as, and we, as it was established, she was in the video just a couple of days ago that they released. Right. Or I guess that was yesterday. Um, mm -hmm. But we will be back out there Wednesday. We'll report on Thursday's podcast what the latest is there and if there is more reason for con for concern. And of course, if you want more up-to-the-date information, you can check out duckterritory.com. We will have a full practice report, as we do every Tuesday and Wednesday, up on the site with all of that information. Um, was there anything else from practice that we actually watched today that you wanted to touch on? I don't know if I've got really much of anything. Um, I guess I'll pose the question, do you think Justin doing the same thing he's done previously now with a bye week behind him? Like, are you feeling like he's going to make a debut this weekend or are we just left in this spot where we're, we're waiting until we see him? I mean, he did more today than he had done in the previous two practices we've seen him because we didn't see him at all during the bye week. So we're sure. going back to Stanford week. Yeah. Um, right. He yep. participated in Stanford week. He did participate in mod bracket, but I don't remember seeing him participate in the special teams drills, and he did that again today. Good point. Um, so he could have against Stanford. I don't remember it. I feel like I would have seen it because obviously Justin Jacobs is a, a topic of conversation and something that we that I've been looking out for as the the defensive guy of a, of the trio of us three or trio of us three. How redundant! Um, as the defensive guy in the trio, mm -hmm. I should be paying attention to that, and I feel like I would have seen it if it did happen. Um, right. But today he goes out, uh, obviously, the first first rep of the mod bracket drill, which does mean a little bit. It's not like mm -hmm. it's nothing to be the first rep out there um, because he was paired with I forgot who it was, but it was, it was Kyrie uh, Jackson and then and uh, Steve, Stevens. Right here, Steve Stevens. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, two counterparts who play a lot, a lot, a yeah. lot. Um, and usually the offensive guys, that's a mix of first team dudes and maybe a second team guy. So, um I wouldn't read. I wouldn't put all my stock in it, but I'd put some into it. I, I, in terms of if he will play this weekend, I don't know. I, mm. Yes, I, I think yes, especially after another week. Um, if it was really critical time, like hypothetically, two thousand and twenty-one University of Oregon linebacker crew that just got decimated with injuries, I think Justin would have played against Stanford, but they didn't need him. Just like they didn't need Kyrie Jackson for the rest of the game. They're like, hey, you kind of got dinged up. Fine. Julio Florence, you were kind of dinged up last week. We don't need you. Bye. Um, this week, however, I'm hesitant to say he will play because, boy, this is a <laughs> this is a tough game to come back from, I'll tell you what, especially as a defender, especially as a linebacker. Um, yep. We'll see. I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised to see him get reps, like play at all, like just to, to get him back there. on. Uh, but um, – you know, to be like a starter or to get uh, like 40, 40, 50 reps, I'd be very surprised about. But I would imagine he plays, but I've been wrong many times before. And we're getting to the point of the year where whatever injury he had, you would think would be getting close to being fully healed. And the fact that he's taking full contact reps in practice now for at least a couple of weeks. Three weeks, yeah. Encouraging, coming off a bye week. Sometimes you see that strategy where he, as to Jared's point, if he was – 85% of it healthy for Stanford. You say, ah, oh, let's just hold it off. Let's give him an extra week to fully heal up yep. and then throw him out there. So I, I, I'm leaning as well towards him playing, but we don't have any information. And I can almost guarantee you Dan will not want to answer a question on Wednesday about his status because Dan's, it seems like Dan's rule right now with injuries is if, if we have personally seen the person be injured or absent from a game, it may be kind of fair game to bring up. But if it's a person we haven't seen all season, 
like Justin, uh, he, he doesn't seem overly interested in discussing it. So uh, that's where we are with injuries. Um, I don't think there's anything else from practice really at all to touch on. Um, no. Again, we will, we will update folks about Doorless later on this week. Let's dive a little into some Washington talk. Um, Dan's comments on Washington's offense kind of matched what you would expect they would be, which is, yeah, this is a very un unusual test. I think he called it a unique, a very unique uh, test to face three receivers like this. So I think he said something along the lines of, usually you go against a team and there's one guy, maybe two guys that they, they really want to force the ball to. But with Washington, they've got three really, really good receivers. This is what we were just talking about earlier this week. Also very uh, high on Michael Penix. I think he said he's probably the most talented quarterback they've faced to date, which I will take the probably away and say that is that he's the most talented they've faced. Um, it was complimentary as well with the way Penix is able to extend plays with his legs, but also with the way the offensive line protects him. Because I do think it stands out when you look at the numbers that Oregon and Washington are at the top of the Pac-12 standings in terms of sacks allowed with only three so far through five games. And Washington's also by far the most prolific passing offense in the country. I think it's like almost 85, 90 yards more per game than number two from a total passing mm -hmm. yards. Like that's a unique setup there where you've got a team that throws the ball so often, but never really gives up sacks. So um, I think that kind of was something we talked about maybe a little bit on Monday. I don't remember if we did entirely, but it's something I think throughout this week we'll certainly be pointing to and, and wanting to talk about because we saw against Colorado and a little bit against Stanford, the pass rush come alive. And this is a game where there's going to be opportunity. Dan said it, they're going to throw the ball a lot, but can they get home? Can they make an impact? Obviously having Brandon Dorless available in this game changes things too. But I, I think that to me is is becoming one of the elements that needs to be talked about maybe a little bit more. We're going to spend a lot of time this week talking about the receivers and the quarterback as, as they should, because those are undoubtedly NFL players and guys whose names are frankly going to be called day one, day two, for sure. I think the offensive line has done a great job in protecting Penix. Penix does a great job of protecting himself, sort of like Bo Nix, but that's a component I think to really kind of hone in on this week of, okay, can Oregon hold up in the secondary for five to six seconds if their pass rush can't get there? That's where it gets right. tough. And the, the flip side is I think Oregon could, could kind of, I don't want to say put this one away, but can kind of take control if they can get home the way they have been the last couple of weeks here. So um, I think that sneakily is, is to me almost the biggest or one of the bigger areas to kind of focus on. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a, uh... Testament to like football for as long as, as long as it's been a sport. Like if you control the line of scrimmage, you can control the game. And, you know, that's what Oregon is built to do. Um, that's, you know, what Mario Cristobal tried to do in Oregon when he got here. It's what Dan Lanning is trying to continue to do. Um, just more so on the defensive side of the ball than the offensive side of the ball. And you see the results in Oregon's defensive line already this year, having a you know more sacks than they did all of last season. Um, dudes left and right who can get in there and get after the passer. Uh, they're rotating tremendous talent, you know, in and out. Like guys like Casey Rogers is out. You bring in Taki Taimani, you bring in Popo Amavai, Keon Ware Hudson, and you know, you got really good freshmen on the edge of like Purchase and Tatum Tuioti. So I think it's incredibly important that they get to the quarterback. Uh, I looked up the stats from last year. They had 10 quarterback pressures, which is a good amount, especially against a team that throws it as often as Washington does. But one quarterback hit 
which that was a a, a talking point for Dan into the offseason and some of the defensive linemen that they need to do a better job of wrapping up once they get a quarterback into these situations. They've done a better job. They're just a better defensive line at tackling a quarterback, which sometimes you think of as you know pretty darn easy. But with Penix and a guy like Shador Sanders at points, like they they're, they're slippery. They can get out of it. Um, you even saw it with Tyler Shuck that he was able to get out of a sack or two. So I think, excuse me, with how often they throw the ball, like Dan said, there will be plenty of opportunities to get into the to the back or the back end there with Penix and try to get um, some pressures. And I think Oregon will do it. It just depends if their secondary can hold up because any secondary that has to hold for five to eight seconds is not going to do well. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you're in the NFL. It doesn't matter if you're in college. Like that's too long of a time. And if you can go, if you can get to the quarterback in three, four Mississippi, that's going to make Penix's job a lot tougher. Um, I, I'm interested to see what Washington's defense will look like against Oregon because there's not a lot of great stats about Washington's defense. It's not like they've been, you know, terrible. It's not like they're USC. It's just that there's, there's, you know how, um, if you guys, if, if, if you're a listener who knows baseball savant, like the red is really good and the blue color for the stats is really bad. It's not like Washington has a lot of red. Or a lot of blue. There's just a lot of, you know, purple, something right in the middle. It's not incredible, but you know, they have Braylon Trice, they have ZTF, not gonna try to pronounce his name. They have some guys who did a lot of good things in the last year or two, but haven't really come out yet this year and really showed what they're capable of. And maybe that's more of a testament to the improvement in offensive lines in the Pac twelve. Maybe it's an imp- a testament to figuring out schemes to go against these guys to try to neutralize them like teams try to do with like Kayvon Thibodeau's last season in Oregon, like go at him or go against him or try to bring two or three guys and chip them and stuff like that. Maybe that's just a scheme thing. But you know, Oregon's starting tackles, Josh Conley Jr. and a, a Johnny Cornelius have been tested, but nothing crazy against Washington, Braylon Trice, and ZTF, those guys are going to be the best competition that they faced all season long. So I'm interested to see about that. I'm going to write something today on that on duckterritory.com. Um, I'm in, I mean, there's a lot of aspects, but I'm trying to think of ones that aren't just like, can Oregon stop the passing, like the passing offense of Washington? Because that's, you know, that's written in bold, that's bright lights flashing at everybody. Like, duh, that that is the obvious one. And then the other obvious one is just, can Washington's pass defense stop Oregon's pass off? Like these are the obvious things. So going a little bit beneath the curtain or underneath or behind the curtain and trying to figure out other aspects of this game that are must watch. I think the Oregon's relatively inexperienced with quotes right there against Washington's kind of more established defensive line presence, I think is one of my, my favorite ones to look at. That's a good one. It is. And and I think in part because, Oregon has done such a great job since Bo Nix has gotten here at protecting him, yep. right? Last year, this mm-hmm. year. And then you go back and you look at Auburn when things weren't quite as good and he was getting hit all the time and the pressure was much more frequent. And then that's a, probably not the best offensive line play at Auburn, but B SEC defenses where you just have a lot of NFL talent. You have a lot of Sunday players up front. And, and I think that was a big part of his struggles there along with, I'm sure some other stuff that doesn't have anything to do with that. But when you go and watch like, 
the Bo Nix highlight package at Auburn, a lot of the plays are him scrambling for his life. I mean, there's a several against LSU, I think, in 21. Him scrambling for his life, running around, throwing the ball downfield. I think a couple of them work, but those are much lower percentage plays than when Bo is able to sit in the pocket comfortably. And so I'm, I'm in agreement with that, right. Jared, because that hasn't been a problem really at all for him at Oregon. I think he's been sacked eight times in like, what is it now? Uh, almost 20 games? 18 that's, games, yeah. That's like 13 and, plus and, five. I'm trying to remember, was was last year, did, he, did Oregon finish with eight sacks allowed or was it five? Um, I don't remember. Either way, it's not a very large number. Um, no. So re- that's not been a problem. If that becomes a problem, that could be something to monitor. So I think that's worth, worth bringing up. Uh, another thing that's maybe not as much X's and O's to bring up, but just a little bit of kind of interesting talk today with the players because we did have Josh Connerly and Taki Taimani. Um, just kind of some of the history with a couple of these guys with Washington. Like Taki was talking today. Yeah, as For those who are unfamiliar, he played his first three years at Washington. Yeah, He knows a lot of these guys. Like he says he's still friends with some of these players at Washington. Like So there is a little bit of history. He's going back and playing in a stadium that he played in a ton to start his career. And, and, and what is that going to be like for him? He's been playing, by the way. I don't know if we've talked enough on the pod, but Taki's been – he's like he's the, been great. the top graded PFF interior defensive lineman in the Pac-12 right now. Like, and again, they're mm-hmm. rotating so much that it's like I think just around 100 snaps in five games. So not a huge sample size, but enough where you go. He's been really productive when he's been out there. Um, so you kind of wonder – and I, I'm not saying Taki's going to go in there and be lost and all that, but that's just an added personal element here of he's got that component. And as he was asked about today, like he heard about it quite a bit when he left Washington for Oregon, as you would expect, if a player left Oregon for Washington, the same thing would be the case. Duck fans, Husky fans don't love it when their players play for the rival. I know. Well, you're going to give Oregon fans a little bit more credit or sorry, fans more credit. I mean, how much is our Oregon fans talking about Darren Barkins? (laughs) I forgot Darren Barkins was on the team. (laughs) Exactly. So, I'm not going to, like, I'm not sitting here. I'm not going to like start trashing Washington fans or anything like that. But I do think it's just egregious. It's like Taki was a pretty productive player at Washington. He wasn't anything special, but you know, it's not like they're losing. I don't know. It's not like, uh, gosh, dude. Yeah. It's not like you're using, losing Trice or a Dunze to Oregon. Like, again, I think Taki's a very good player and he's, he's done his part this year in his final year of college of eligibility. Just some of the things, like specifically, go off on a little tangent, that Sports Illustrated thing written about Taki, where it's just like completely uninformed and just uh, awful, just horrendous journalism. Just I can't believe that that guy is even allowed a a press pass going into this game. And I hope he's not because the, the, the hate, the vitriol there, I just don't understand. Again, it's like do Oregon fans spend their time talking about Darren Barkins? And I know that they're two different players because Taki actually plays for Oregon and Darren doesn't and Darren didn't didn't play at Oregon, but right, right. Still, it's like I I don't get it. But sorry, I had to had to go off my tangent. Continue, it's, Eric. It's a good tangent and it kind of trickles right into the next one I was going to bring up when I think there was even more vitriol, which was for Josh Connerly Jr., a Seattle native who was heavily recruited by both Oregon and Washington, the number one offensive lineman in the country a couple cycles ago, spurns the local school, goes to Oregon. And I saw a lot more on the other side of that one than Taki in terms of what yeah. was being written on social media. And it got super ugly, and it got super ugly for a teenager. Um, so you know in the back of these guys' minds that that isn't something you totally forget. 
Um, it doesn't necessarily mean it's personal with the Washington players, but it certainly with the fan bases and the way they've kind of carried themselves throughout this, you could, you got to feel for it. I don't think Josh really brought it up too, like really harped on it too much. He was asked about it, but yeah, those words probably didn't feel very good to hear, especially from people from your own you know community that you grew up in. Um, but Connerly also brought up the fact that like Husky stadium is a stadium he went to countless games at growing up being that he grew up in Seattle. Um, and you just, that's going to be a component of it too. I, I did also ask about, you know, Oregon's now played one game on the road since Texas tech, but let's be honest, it was Stanford. There was no crowd noise there. So the, the false start penalties that I think it was three false start penalties that Josh had at Texas tech. Is that right? It was, it was yeah, Oregon at least had, two. I remember at least two. The team had five, I believe, and I thought Josh had three. So that was a problem there. And I did ask him if he feels more comfortable and confident in his ability there pre-snap, especially going into another hostile environment. And I think he said something about being at the eye of the storm because that's the most, mm-hmm. that's the calmest place you can be, even with all the stuff around you. So he's gotten good coaching from a leak and, and all of those in the room there. But you just wonder what it'll look like on Saturday where, again, back in a familiar environment – maybe seeing some faces he's seen before in the crowd. Maybe he's going to be targeted in particular by fans. I don't know if they'd really do that in football like they would in basketball. Like if Josh Connerly was playing on the Oregon men's basketball team and they were going up to Seattle, you know they would make a big deal about it. I'm not sure they'll do the same thing here. But um, you just kind of – that's important. Your left tackle being focused, dialed in, especially when he's had some pre-snap issues in the past. Like him being able to hold his own – Facing, we talked about earlier, Braylon tries CTF, whoever's in front of him, but also being able to kind of block out the noise and be focused and play at his best. Like it's, I think it's imperative you get that because as we were kind of talking about earlier, Nick's needs to be protected in this one. And if he's not, mm-hmm. a lot of that could fall on the left tackle based upon how defenses often attack opposing pass offenses. I mean, yeah, if, if, if Trice and um, CTF start getting to Bo Nix, it's, it's going to be off of one of the two tackles. Those guys are traditionally like on the on the outside of, of the line sometimes yeah. they're standing up but traditionally they're going right over the tackle maybe sometimes they're stunting but traditionally they're going outside the tackle to try to get this and i i mean i i think there's going to be some hate and vitriol towards josh Connolly jr 100%. i mean that's a kid who again uh turned down going to his hometown team to come to oregon and uh, Oregon is very appreciative of that because he's their starting he's their starting left tackle and he's going to be a good player and um, he's already great as a sophomore and I'm excited to see what he can be as a junior and I don't know he could have some first round buzz towards the end of his career I'm sure of it sure um, but it's not going to be fun um, you know to, if you're a Washington fan to not think wow I wonder what it could be like if if he were the starting left tackle. Um, and if you're Washington, you don't want to lose a kid that's in your backyard, especially a kid of his caliber. It's the same with uh, uh, JT Tuamale at, at, uh, at Ohio State. Same thing with Emeka Ibuka at Ohio State. Like Those are some some really good kids. And if Ohio State were to play at Washington, they would, it would be the same kind of crowd reaction, I think. But it, it hurts even more that the kid went to Oregon. So um, I, Connerly doesn't deserve it. Again, he, he made the point of like, Look, like I made the best decision to me. And then Taki Taimani later, um, and not not the same kind of context, but you know, making the decision to go to Oregon as a as a transfer rather than as a recruit was like, you know, I'm I'm the guy who gets to play on the field. I get yeah. I get to make these decisions. Like fans don't. Like they're not in the field, they're not in, in my shoes. Like you can be mad at me all you want, but 
um, I, I get to make these decisions and make the plays. So I think that's a good perspective to have. I think most people should have that perspective because yeah, they're, they're not, they're not the players. And it's the same with like coaches leaving for a better salary. It's like, well, which one of you wouldn't want to have generational wealth or double or triple your salary, like in a blink of an eye. So um, I think that'll be a fun little side feature is because there's a couple kids from, from Washington on, on Oregon's team or, and you know, Taki specifically played at Washington. Um, guys like Jane Lamar, another kid from Washington who we won't get to talk to because he's a true freshman, but uh, there's a decent chance you see some reps out of him yeah. uh, just because of the running back rotation. Um, just something to, to think about. And uh, I think that'll be a fun, small storyline to the game. Uh, I, should, we, uh, should we get into some of Washington's injuries after we got into some of Oregon's injuries? Just as a quick little... yeah. Uh, finality to this episode I, the only other thing i was going to say was i did ask Dan, uh it's really quick and then we can i'll let you kind of run through some of that and i know for the most part it seems to be good news for for washington which is good news for the fans because it should it seems like both teams are closing in on on pretty close to full strength but i did ask dan uh, i think bo was kind of asked a little bit about it too just of how last year's loss like are you using that as motivation are you going to lean into that and they both kind of said like you know, that was last year. Obviously, it's a game that that we think a lot about, and it's a game that we were obviously very disappointed to lose, but it's a new year, and Dan's point was kind of like, these guys, they don't really need that kind of external motivation. This is a team that that is playing for, you know, it's a playing for, to, to reach a certain standard every week. It's a team that is motivated by other goals other than just beating a rival. Obviously, they want to win this game badly because it it, it keeps a lot of things open for them, but um, but that was kind of interesting, especially with the way we've seen Dan behind the scenes talk about certain things. If you look back at the Colorado week and who knows, maybe they'll, when they release the cinematic recap next week, Dan will, you know, lean into it a little bit more. Maybe he will bring up about, they, they took this from you last year. Don't let them take it from you again. Right. I don't know. But I thought it was interesting perspective that maybe I was, I don't want to say not expecting to hear, but it was just a little bit unique and, and maybe different than my, what I anticipated. Yeah. We'll see. I'm un- I'm interested to see if they would theoretically, if Oregon were to lose, would they release a cinematic recap? My bet is no. I was wondering but... the same thing. Well, they could find a way to. Yeah, that'd be interesting to see. That'd be interesting. I was gonna say they could find a way to turn that into a Dan talking about learning experiences afterwards, blah blah blah. But do they really want to show the guys after a loss like that? I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, it's a good my, point. My guess is the cameras will be shut off for that one. Um, Probably, but. Going back to Washington injuries, um, Jalen McMillan and Roma Dunze, their top receivers, uh, will be healthy. Will be playing. Um, I think Adunze, Adunze got hurt towards the end of the Arizona game. I'm not sure how big it was, but Jalen McMillan didn't play in the Arizona game. Like he had an actual injury. Um, he, uh, Kalen DeBoer was had his press conference yesterday on on Monday and talked about it and said that um, he was a couple days away from playing at Arizona. So given the bye week, yeah. he'll be just as fine to go. Uh, safety Asa Turner is coming back and left guard Julius Buelo, B-U-E-L-O-W, Buelo, I think. Buelo, uh, maybe? Yep, Buelo, something, are, are both expected to return. Um, Turner is a safety. Uh, Buelo is a left guard. So um, Washington's offensive line has been hit kind of kind of hard by injuries this year. They've had one or two guys go down with a season-ending injury. So, and they've done fine. Like we've uh, yeah. 
I, yeah. I don't even know if we've mentioned, but Washington, or we have on yesterday's podcast, but today Washington's offensive line is, is, is quite good. Um, they do a good job of protecting Michael Penix this year. Um, so not that they necessarily immediately need Buelo back, but it uh, certainly will will help them in terms of their depth and uh, being able to potentially rotate guys out if necessary. Uh, and then Turner, again, against Oregon, that's similar similar to how the Ducks feel about this, like getting secondaries guy, secondary guys back against a pass-friendly offense is always going to be a positive. Uh, I don't. I think Turner was was a guy who got plenty of reps um, pre- before his injury, so he um, he was a he was a four-star recruit back in the day as well. Yeah, he, uh, uh, he, he led wa- he led Washington in tackles last year against Oregon. I know that just from looking at last year's box score. So mm-hmm. he's he's been involved. Um, I'm trying to see if this little article tells me very quickly, but it doesn't look like it. Um, is uh, did he give an update on Thule? And I, this name is really hard to pronounce. Lettuce Agonia, maybe I don't know if I pronounced it. It's one of their starting interior linemen who's missed a couple of weeks. Yeah, it's uh, uncertain. So that's ominous. Yeah, I don't really love that, but if you're a Washington fan, you don't really love that. Um, yeah. Oregon fans, I'm sure, are delighted. But uh, reading between the tea leaves. Not great. You don't like the uncertainty. Um, you'd much rather have like a Dan Landing thing where it's like, are you expecting him to play? Yes or no or whatever Dan says. Uh, the we're uncertain doesn't necessarily bode well, no. um, but it is a big game. So um, there's a chance that guys who are 85% are not going to get a week off to rest because uh, I think I read something where basically whatever team – wins this game has like an 80% chance of winning the Pac-12 championship or 75% chance of winning the Pac-12 championship. Makes sense. And it, and it flows both ways. So Washington wins, it goes up to like 75%. If Oregon wins, it goes up to 75 and they both lose. It's like 34, 36% of uh, odds of winning the Pac-12 championship. So um, I would imagine that people who are close to being able to play will be playing today. Sorry, not today, Saturday. Last question for you, and I, I'm curious on your thoughts. It's kind of weird because Josh Pate, we recorded the interview earlier today. That, that podcast will actually go up Wednesday, tomorrow, so you can listen to that. It's a really good interview Jared and I did with him. He said something that kind of stuck out to me where, where because Oregon hasn't lost yet, he said a loss this weekend doesn't end your season. Especially, I think he especially said if it was like a four-point, it was a close game. Yeah. Are, are we in must-win territory right now for Oregon? Like, is this a must win? Or if they, I mean, and again, I, I'm not trying to, because the fan, there are going to be people listening. No, yeah. say, Here's Eric trying to like throw out, he thinks they're going to lose. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just wondering if, like, from your perspective, like, if Oregon loses 48 45 on Saturday and it's an awesome game and it comes down to a last second field goal or something like that, like, does that ruin Oregon's season? Does that end the momentum that they have? Or do you still look up and say, hey, like, there's not another team on the schedule that they for sure are going to lose to, you know, and, and they could be one, <laughs> one lost team playing Washington again in, in uh, Las Vegas in early December. Yeah, this is, I'm not sure if this is a must win or can't lose, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's tough because yeah, no, if they, if they lose and it's a, a three point game, like we're laying out or like Pate said, like a close one score, maybe a game winning field goal type game. It's kind of like how it was last year. It is. Like if Oregon wins against Oregon State, like they're in a New Year's Six Bowl. True. They just lost to Oregon State. Um, And if Oregon were to win, excuse me, if Oregon were to lose against Washington, honestly, either of these teams, if they were to win 
or if either of these teams were to lose, there's still a incredibly tough conference schedule for both of these teams immediately after this game. They both have to play Washington State, who I know lost to UCLA, but still a top 25 team. I think they both have to play Utah. And I think they both have to play Oregon State. I think I'm not so. sure about I, the I, Utah thing for Washington. but I'm going to pull up Washington's schedule. But they, they do both have to play USC. So that's another thing. Like There are opportunities down the line to enhance your your strength of schedule, your status. Like if you were to finish the regular season 11 and one, there's a really good chance that whatever team loses this game is just going to play the other team in the Pac-12 championship game. And then I think the winner of that would honestly be surefire into the college football playoff because, and people will get to listen to this tomorrow on Wednesday but Josh Pate brought up the thing where it's like we gave for years now, last decade or so, we've given the SEC so much credit as to the depth and pure talent that they've had in their conference during any given year where we will see a Georgia versus Alabama um, in the SEC championship game and then p- potentially in the, the national championship game. Um, the Pac-12 is a hell of a conference this year. You know, there's yeah. at one point there were what like eight teams eight. Yeah. in the top 25, which again is is far too many. There's not that many good teams, but there's a solid six that are really good and that could be in and out of the out of the top 25 every single week. And if you're to go 11 and one during the conference play and or finish with an 11 run record after the year, that's I mean. That's a hell of a year. You should be in Pac-12 or you should be in college football playoff consideration. But I think whoever whoever does lose this game certainly has a chance to get right back in it. We've seen plenty of one-loss teams go to the college football playoffs. And it also depends on your perspective of what you expect from this Oregon team. If you sure. think it's a college football playoff team, yeah, you're going to be disappointed if they lose. If you're just hoping for a New Year's Six game, you're okay with a loss because, again, they have a bunch of opportunities to – to, to get to that New Year's Six level or maybe even that college football playoff level down the road. You still got USC at home, like big, big matchups that you can still win and prove that that was a really good team that we lost to, but hey, so are we. Margin of error goes away is what it is, I think, Correct. for both yeah. for either team. You can't lose again mm-hmm. to try to make a college football playoff. To, you can still lose again and possibly make the conference championship game, I think, based upon how competitive this league is. Washington does play Utah. They do play Oregon State. They, fi- they finish with USC, Utah, Oregon State, and Washington State, which is it's a tough way, tough. To, tough way to conclude a season. Yeah, that at least Oregon. Easy. At least Oregon has ASU in there, but that and game Cal. is going to give and Cal. But like the last, like the finishing stretch, um, that ASU game is going to give some heart palpitations to the to the Oregon crowd. Always does, and and. Arizona in the desert in November. I think that's going to do it for us unless you had something else there, Jared. Um, I got something very specific, but it was just kind of, kind of not important to this podcast. So we can, we can talk about it at a later date. Let's save that for, for Thursday when Matt will be back. We will do our full prediction podcast, run through some more things. Jared will bring up whatever talking point he has left and carry it over to Thursday um Mm -hmm. again check out wednesday's show i think fans are going to be excited we had josh pate for about 30 minutes it was a good interview talked about a lot of things he's very high on this oregon team he's i think expecting i don't say 
an Oregon win necessarily, but the way he was talking, he thinks Oregon is going to play at a high level here. And he's, he's pretty high on the defense, which I think is something fans will be excited to listen to on Wednesday. But for this podcast, thanks for listening. Um, talk to you later, folks. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Deucible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must Listen, download, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found.